0: Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, Wendy and I realized that it's now about two years since we actually moved uh, to live here. And uh, we're gradually getting to know you. Uh, Forgive us, it's hard to know everybody as quickly as we'd like to. Wendy's done a lot better than I have, but it's been a joy. We're so glad to call this our home. We're thrilled with the love that we're shown and the welcome we've received. I want to thank you for prayers. Uh, for me especially, through this season of uh, having surgery and all that went with it. So it's great to be back, and it's uh, great to be part of this family. So thank you so much. As we've just heard, oh, let me just say this as well, um, there's some books on the table outside, uh, a number of books that I've written, that Wendy's written, but most recently, Life Tastes Better. This is a very recent publication, uh, and really it's a book that sort of secures you in your faith, or if you're on the edge of faith, can help you, I believe, to make that step into certainty of trust in Jesus. Or maybe you've got a close friend or a neighbor or someone of that sort that you could uh, pass it on to. We recently gave it to our neighbor. It's an introduction to faith in Jesus and really nailing the certainty of it. So life tastes better. It's a small book. Uh, it only costs pound fifty, less than a birthday card, so you're laughing. Okay, so do take advantage of it and have it maybe uh, in your handbag for someone you meet, someone you're speaking to. Uh, hey, you want to read this? This will tell you about Jesus. This will tell you about how to put your confidence in him. So I just commend uh, that to you. Let's just pray and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the great truths that we've been singing and the things you've reminded us of through uh, the word, uh, through those things people have shared in. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great faithfulness, for the wonder of sins forgiven, the wonder of knowing you. Lord, we're so very grateful. And we pray, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Come be our teacher. Come lead us into truth. Come bless us in and through your word, Father. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as Kieran just said, we've been doing this short series through August of questions that Jesus asked. Jesus came as a teacher. Uh, he was more than a teacher, but uh, you know, Nicodemus said, you're a teacher sent from God. I mean, I had some good teachers uh, who inspired me, but a teacher sent from God is something else, someone who has come from God with words of God, words that really are relevant to us. And it's not really like a teacher in a classroom where you open your books and take out your pen and make notes. He really is teaching about life. So many of his experiences, many of his teachings come in life situations because he's teaching us how to live in this fallen, broken world, with all kinds of questions and jagged edges and things that scare and frighten us, he's speaking into that world. He's coming with words that help us to live in the midst of a world full of problems, questions, difficulties, challenges. So it's not like an ordinary teacher who just wants to fill your notepad. He's a teacher that wants to say things and then draw things out from us. And I'm going to read to you one of the questions I felt when we started this series and I was asked, would you do one of the Sundays? I just was reading this passage and I thought, oh, I must, I must speak on this question that Jesus asked, which is found in Mark's gospel in chapter four. On verse, in verse 35, it says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side and leaving the crowd. They took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats with him. And there arose a great, a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care we're perishing." And he got up, rebuked the wind. And said to them, see, hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid. And said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Last week when we were here, some of us were here. I know it's the holiday season, lots of comings and goings. Kieran spoke to us about worry and anxiety. Here's talking about a sudden crisis of fear where they're utterly, utterly terrified. There are circumstances in life that make us fearful, situations that trouble us, maybe financial, situations wonder, how are we going to make ends meet? I know when I first left secular work, and was actually serving God, living by faith. Wow, how am I going to pay my rent next week? How am I going to cope? Fear can be, where are our means coming from? Maybe your job is threatened. Situations like that can bring fear. Sometimes relational problems can bring fear. Is this relationship going to last? Are we going to make it? Is this marriage under pressure? We can get terrible fear that can dominate our days. Our waking moments are full of apprehension, full of fear. Those things happen to us. Sometimes it's about sickness. Maybe even the fear of death. We can get really troubled. What's, what's going to happen? Fear can overwhelm. And sometimes just that sense of, have I really got what it takes? Can I, can I live the Christian life? Do I, do I have what it takes to be a Christian, to work this thing out? Fear can be a really challenging thing. So let's remember that's relevant to us, but I want to get into the story. And in the story, uh, these fishermen, now followers of Jesus, or predominantly fishermen, tax collectors, all kinds of guys, a dozen or so guys who'd been uh, called by Jesus into relationship with him, and they're on this boat at his command and request and invitation And they're suddenly hit by a phenomenal storm, so much so that it says the water is coming into the boat. Uh, They are in serious danger. And these are uh, experienced fishermen. It's not like, oh, uh, this would trouble a layman like myself. These are guys who are used to being in storms. They're used to being in ships, but they are terrified. And uh, they begin to say to Jesus, don't you care We're perishing. Get up. Wake up. And uh, you get then this question, why are you afraid? Now, actually, when you look at it at first, and I've been pondering this, you think, what a silly question. (laughs) I mean, it's a a silly question. Why are you afraid? I I wonder where the emphasis lies, because to be honest, it's just words on a sentence, a very short sentence, and when you just read it on the page, every word's got the same weight. You think, well, is it why, why? Or is it afraid? I mean, where does the emphasis lie uh, in this, why are you afraid? And to be honest, as I pondered it and thought about it, I thought perhaps the emphasis lies here. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You should know better than this. Why are you afraid? Now, why do I say that? Well, I was pondering and looking at the chapter, and it says back earlier in the chapter, In chapter 4, Jesus is teaching by parables that is obscure, not illustrations. They're not to make things clearer. Parables are weird things. They're not in order to say, look, this is what I mean. There's a picture. That'll help you. No, parables, the Bible itself says, are to make it more mysterious, make it more obscure, kind of hide the teaching. That's what parables are about. They kind of hide the teaching that need explanation and you find this it says in uh, this earlier in the chapter that he then comes to the disciples and explains to the disciples what the parable was all about in verse 11 and 12 it says this when he was alone his followers with the 12 began to ask him about the parables and he was saying to them to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom but to those outside Everything comes in parables. Now, this is a concept in Jesus. There are insiders and outsiders. There are those he's called into relationship with him. Now, Jesus is very generous with his teaching. He's incredible with his healings. He's merciful. He trumpets out some wonderful stuff, blesses widely. But he's actually about raising up a new community on planet Earth. The world's in terrible trouble. The world is in all sorts of a mess, and God's way is to raise up a new community. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to have a number of followers. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to to pour my life into a, a number, and this will be a new community on the planet who live a different way, who understand different things. Outsiders won't understand. Insiders will understand. That's going to be characteristic of these people, that they're they're on the inside, they're with Jesus. And when Jesus prays at the end of his ministry in John 17, which is sometimes called the the great priestly prayer, when Jesus is kind of summing up to the Father and saying, Lord, I've done what you gave me to do. I've finished the work you gave me to do. He actually says that. In John 17, that's before the cross, before the resurrection, he's so focused on these guys. He said, look, I've given them your word. Then he says this, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world. I pray for them. He said, I pray for those who will believe through them. I pray for others who will uh, subsequently get added to this new community, who, who understand who you are who understand why I came, who understand what life's all about. I'm not praying for the whole world. That's where people get so confused about what Christianity is. We get confused in a nation like England, where you get thought for the day on the radio, and and ministers speak to the whole world as though they understood Christianity. Of course they don't understand. Of course they don't understand. And some people can get very arrogant and say things like this. Of course, people in the past believed these things. We're 21st century now. We've ditched all that. It was like that from the beginning. It was like that from the beginning. Paul says the gospel we preach is foolishness to the outsider. It's not become foolishness. It always was foolishness. We believe in a cross. We believe in a leader who was smashed to death by the most outrageous form of execution you could ever dream up. And we say, he's the answer. And Paul says to the world, it's crazy. Yeah, of course it is. But to those who believe, it's the power of God. We're insiders. We come to understand. And so easy for today to say, oh, well, we used to believe this stuff, but we've grown out of it. Like it's a modern thing. No, no, no. From the beginning, from the beginning, there were foolish people. There were outsiders. Jesus gave himself to these who were kind of the insiders, The ones he called into a relationship with himself. The one he was going to reveal himself to, the one he was was inviting into a relationship. The whole thing's about a new relationship. And the church of God is made up of people who've come to believe their words and are actually all in this relationship with him. Why are you scared? Why are you afraid? Of course, anybody else would be afraid. Of course they would, it's a storm. Waves are coming to the boat. I mean, what do you need to get scared? But you, why are you afraid? I believe that's where the burden lies, because he's, he's talking to a people he's, he's engaged with. He said to them, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'm the light of the world. He said things like this to them, come with me. Peter, son of Jonah, I know who you were. Simon, son of Jonah, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be a rock. I'm going to build my church. You're going to to be foundational to it. You other apostles you are going to be foundational. I'm about a great work. I've been sent by my father to do something of global proportion, international proportion. It will ultimately reach to the ends of the the earth. Come with me. And they left their nets and followed him. They've given themselves to him. They could sing songs like we've just sung, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my all. They're in relationship with him. Tragedy, what's wrong with you guys? You're with me in this great calling. I'm here to do a great work that's gonna be of huge proportion. Follow me. And they suddenly hit a storm. And they're ready to abandon all hope. They're really being shaped by the temperature of those around. And this is what can happen to us, beloved, we can forget who we are. We can forget who we are. I was so thrilled by what Tim said a moment ago, that in the worship, God drew near to him and said, Tim, remember who you are. Remember who you are. It's such a vital part of having faith. See, faith isn't some will of the wisp It's not some will oh, they're optimistic and they're pessimistic. It's, not, it's about a relational thing. It's something that God, we, we just sung it, nothing compares to the promise I have in you. I have promises. If you're a believer, you have promises. God's called you into a relationship. It's not some random thing. It's relational. God has made me promises. He's made you promises. He'd made these 12 promises. We've got got a great thing we're going to do. I'm the true vine. You're the branches. I'm your shepherd. You're my sheep. I'll care for you. The hireling runs away. I'll never run away. I'll lay down my life for the sheep. And they're saying, hey, there's a storm. Don't you care? They've missed the point of the relationship. Tragically, that's how it was in the Old Testament. God looked down upon them in Egypt. He called them out. He kind of celebrated his out of Egypt. I've called my son. I've called my son. What a privilege. I've called my son. This is my son, I've called this nation out, and I'm calling them my son." And then he says this: "I brought you to myself on eagle's' wings." Then he says this: "I taught you to walk." I remember teaching my kids to walk. It's one of the greatest joys you ever have. When you say, come on, come on, and you teach them to walk. And you think, wow. And God's, that's God's view. He said, you're my special treasure. That's how he regards them. I've loved you because I've always loved you. You're my special treasure. And then you find unbelief. Why have you brought us out into this wilderness? To destroy us? And God's got this land... <laughs> flowing with milk and honey. He's got promises, He like, I've, got, I've got cities that you've never even built. Vineyards, you've not planted, they're all gonna be yours. I've planned for you in love, and they're saying, "I oh, brought us out of this wilderness to kill us. Moses, who do you think you are? And you think, wow, they forgot who they were. And beloved, that's one of the ways we get confused about faith. Sometimes faith is kind of this, can I believe? No, no, it's about remembering who we are. How are How are you afraid? Of course, what Paul calls mere men, when he's writing one of the epistles, he said, you're acting like mere men. What does he mean? He means that, no, you're believers, you're not mere men anymore. You're different. You're born again. You've got the life of God. You know God. How can you act like mere men? People who don't know, who don't understand, who don't know the ways of God, don't know the heart of God. You're judging him like they would judge him. Come on. And so this first call is, why are you afraid? Well, you, you should have this certain certainty rooted in our special relationship. Beloved, you going through a difficult time. You see, he never actually promised it would be easy. He said, In the world, you'll have pressure. You'll have trouble. He said, But I'm in this storm. And I, it seems like God's asleep. It seems like he's got his back to me. That happens. At times it happens. You think, Lord, where are you? But the trial of our faith, more precious than gold, will redound to his praise and glory because it's genuine, it's the genuineness of our faith that comes through. Which tested by fire, these guys are going through a test. But he's still expecting them to actually, hey, remember who you are, remember who I am, remember the relationship. Remember what you've been called into. Know who you are, you're my beloved ones. I've got my hand upon you, my eye upon you. Why are you? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? I'm your father. I'm caring for you. That's what God would say to us. That's what God's been saying to us throughout the meeting for various things that have been happening. He sometimes seems unavailable. I love that story of the woman. It says she's pushing through the crowd. And Jesus is walking away from her. He's, she's, he's got his, his back to her. And she pushes through the crowd. And she's, and she's saying to herself, that's what it says, she is saying, if I can just touch him, I know I'll be made whole. And he's not interested. He's looking the other way. In fact, he's busy. He's going off to heal somebody else. And, and she's saying, if I can touch him, And she touches him, and he says, who touched me? And they said, come on, Lord, everyone's touching you. There's a crowd here. No, someone touched me. See, she's saying, I can touch her. And then he turns and says, wow, your faith has made you whole. Faith is a big deal. Let's press on to the second question. You get two for the price of one in this passage. Why are you afraid? And the second, how is it you have no faith? How is it you have no faith? Two related questions here. Now, notice this. He doesn't say, look, remember, guys, you are trained fishermen. He doesn't say, look, listen, draw on your resources. Come on. You've had training in fishing. You must have seen storms before. And sometimes we can be a bit like that. Instead of getting onto the true source of strength, we can say, well, I've, you know, I've got myself a degree or I've, I've been on that training course or I've, I, you know, I've, I've, I've seen pressures before and I've, I, I've gained some, st- I have experience of life, come on. And sometimes we can think that's the way you get through. You get through by thinking, well, remember what? your father did that? Remember what your mother did? Come on. Get to grips. That's sometimes that how we apply. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, remember your background, remember the skills. You're fishermen. Come on. Get, get to grips. Get those ropes going. It doesn't say that. He doesn't say, where's your courage? Sometimes we can get the, give the impression that Christianity is just for tough guys it really isn't you get the story of gideon i love the story of gideon and uh, there comes that moment in the story you remember when gideon has got too many people for god's liking and uh, gideon has to say to these thousands if anybody's fearful go and hundreds of them go and it's like ah i see christianity is just for tough guys it's just for you know come on you're just scared guys It's like you hear the news sometimes, you hear there was a terrorist on the bridge at Westminster, armed, and these policemen ran to the trouble. And sometimes unarmed, you know, British policemen, my American friends say to me, you mean you've got policemen who don't have guns? I say, yeah. And they say, what do they say? Stop! Or I'll shout, stop, louder. They can't believe the police without guns. But these police sometimes are so courageous, they run into the trouble. Everybody else is running away. They run into it and think, wow, you are remarkable men. And Christianity is made of remarkable men. And Gideon says, let all the fearful go home. But if you think of the story, Gideon could have said, let all the fearful go home. Follow me, I know a way. Gideon's the most scared guy in the story. But we read in Hebrews 11, By faith, out, for, out of weakness, became strong, put foreign armies to flight. Out of weakness, became strong. That's us Hebrews 11, by faith. It's got this wonderful thing at the beginning of the chapter where it gives this definition of faith, or sort of a definition, the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things unseen. That's Hebrews 11. You get this definition of faith. And then you get a whole chapter of things that people did. Things that were, because faith is an action word. You do things by faith. We're running these houses for the homeless by faith. We're doing work on cars. It's a wonderful story. Get close enough to it, you'll hear the faith stories. this happened and that on that day this happened, it's amazing it's a faith thing we're doing stuff to reach out and and if it's not with faith hmm, it's a bit of a dead work really it's with faith we do it believing that God will do it God will break through, God will give us the answer, God will give us the breakthrough it says in Hebrews 11 by faith the walls of Jericho fell down it's an amazing statement By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. That's powerful. By faith, by faith. And so he's saying to them, listen, it's not just your courage, because some people have got courage, other people haven't got courage. Some of us will be scared to run into a situation. It's not find your courage. It's not about optimism. Again, some people say, well, just come on, look on the bright side. Things that work out. I'm a bit of an optimist. People confuse well, You've got faith. You're an optimist. No, 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 it's not that. It's not optimism. And nor is it the kind of modern application of that, like just believe in yourself. Just dream out your dream. I was looking at some of the quotes of uh, Oprah Winfrey this last week. She says, think like a queen. Believe in yourself. Live the life of your dreams. Well, it all sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? But how do you do that? Just believe in yourself is the modern kind of philosophy that's out there. But that's, that's not what faith is. Jesus says, where is your faith? And faith has to do with believing what God says is true. Believing that when he said it, he's committed. Believe he doesn't waste his words. He doesn't speak carelessly. And the whole of our story starts with God speaking to an old man, Abram, and saying to him, you will have a son. And saying to this barren woman, you are going to have a son. They're going to have a child, the whole thing's impossible. And, and God is looking for a confidence in him, because the whole world has believed Satan's lie, don't believe God. The human race confused by, you can't believe God, we don't believe God. And God says, I'll start again. And he starts with Abram. And makes an extraordinary statement to him. And he believes him. And the God program starts kicking in. And you get highs and lows through the Old Testament until Jesus comes and then invites a whole new group. Now come on, I'm giving you promises. I want you to believe me in the pressure. I want you to believe the promises that I make to you. We find later on in Acts 27 that Paul is in a storm. The boat is being threatened. It says they begin to throw things overboard. They're terrified. They're fasting day and night. They think we're going to be smashed to death, smashed to pieces. And it says in Acts 27 that Paul began to pray and seek God. And it says in verse uh, 21, God spoke to me to whom I belong, whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You will stand before Caesar. God's granted you all who are sailing with you. Keep your courage, men. I believe, God, that it will be exactly as I've been told. I believe it will be exactly as I've been told. That is faith. And here, Paul, who's a prisoner, who has no power, Kind of takes over the boat. He he becomes like captain. This is just a prisoner. He's going up to be judged. He's going to court in Rome, and and his faith his faith takes over the boat. In the end, he's giving direction. They begin to put a lifeboat down. And says no, don't do that. Cut that away. And the, and the and the centurion who's looking after him and the captain. They think, well, who do we obey here? And they start obeying the prisoner because the prisoner is believing God. And his faith in God brings through God's sovereignty, God's power, because someone laid hold of God. And, beloved, that's something of our story. The church is out there, ourselves included here, in getting this property. Sometimes people say, No, you can't. And we believe we should. We're going to keep believing, we're going to keep giving. I remember when we were in Brighton looking for the building, and, uh, and you think, we, we're going to raise this money. We're going to raise this money by, by the end of the millennium. That was our goal. It was going to, by the end, it was three and three-quarter million, and we wanted to get it written off. And we're aiming to go for it by the end of the millennium. We're praying and looking to God, trusting God, having three offerings a year, raising 100000 every time. We've got 200,000 to go. We think we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And then some fool said this let's give away the penultimate one. (laughs) And then you say, what? Yeah, wouldn't it be good? Let's give away the penultimate gift. But we're just about, you know, we're going for for the millennium. And, you know, bring it to the elders and we pray about it. Yeah, we feel God saying, you know, give it away. We've got 200,000 to go before the end of the year. Which is the end of the millennium. So this one, we we raise a hundred thousand again, and our middle one, and we give it all away. It's a faith thing. He said that means we've got to raise two hundred thousand at the next one, and that's our story. Praise God, we raised two hundred thousand on the last offering. We went up to the end of the year. We write off everything. It was a faith thing, it's a faith story. And those kind of stories are being told all over. God, people are believing God. I remember when we stopped Stonely Bible Week, people, God said to us, stop it. And, stop Stonely Bible Week. It's nearly 30,000 people. It's where you've got your momentum, where you've got your visibility. The songs are going all around the world. The Stonely Worship album, it's like, this is huge. What are you doing? Well, we felt God told us to stop. The people who run Spring Harvest came to my office and said, are you really stopping? Yes, we are. They said, we want to get it from the horse's mouth. Is this authentic? (laughs) We've heard it stopping. We said, yeah, we're stopping. I said, you know, Stonely is not who we are. It's something we do. And God's told us to stop it. I phoned Nigel this morning, my former dear administrator. I said, how many churches were we when we stopped Stonely? And he said, we were 250 churches around the world. And we were in 22 nations. And we stopped our momentum. So much that we stopped our momentum that we're now in 72 nations and nearly 2,000 churches. See, by faith, people said, you're crazy. You're crazy doing that. No, no, God told us to do it. So by faith, you do it. By faith, you do it. By faith, we win victories. By faith, we do things and look for God to do what he alone can do. God stepping in. So we need to... Sometimes fight the good fight of faith. Sometimes it's a fight. These apostles are going to learn that in this boat right now. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a battle. But remember, the fight is, is in the realm of faith. That's the concept, the fight. The good Fight the good fight of faith. It's faith that wins the battle. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, beloved, we need to cultivate faith. We need to strengthen our heart. Part of it is through remembering who we are, remembering these relationships, these promises are personal to me. You said it, Lord. It says about Abraham, he grew strong in faith, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's also able to perform. It's reckoning on his personality, his character, the fact he said it. And sometimes you've got to fight those things because the evidence looks, wow, he's asleep, he doesn't care, and I'm being overwhelmed. I'm getting another disappointment. I'm hitting hitting problems. But it says of Abraham, although there was delay, you think when there's delay, you grow weak in faith. You know, setback, years slip by, hasn't happened doesn't say he grew weak in faith. It says he grew strong in faith. How come, Romans 4, he grew strong in faith, giving praise and glory to God, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's also able to perform. That's where faith comes from. Nothing compares with the promise I have in you. You've promised, I'm in a relationship with you, you've promised. These are things you've committed yourself to, you're going to do this. And faith won't let go of that. Faith won't just dwell in the area, well, I'm a bit of an optimist, you're a pessimist, that's irrelevant. It's having promises from God, holding on to those promises, believing that he's true. M.R. Vincent says this, quoting from Hebrews 11.1, 1, Faith apprehends as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It rests on that fact, acts upon it, is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict it. Let me just quote that once again. Faith apprehends as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It rests on that fact, Acts upon it, is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict it. God's calling us to being a believing community. Jesus was initiating this, a believing community. He would model it beyond anyone. He would walk into the cross, he would go into the depths of experience. My God, my God why have you forsaken me? He knows what it is to be tested to the nth degree. He knew what it was to tremble and say, do I have to drink this cup? Do I have to go through this? And then he said, for this purpose came I to this hour. That's what I came to do. I came to do it. And then in the end, going through all the sense of being forsaken, left, it's not working, Then he says, into your hands, I commend my spirit. I commend my spirit. In Psalm 16, he would have quoted into his own heart, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. By faith, he laid down his life for us, beloved. By faith, he took it again. He's triumphant. He's saying, come on, he's worth trusting. He's worth trusting. And all the Hebrews 11 witnesses are bearing witness to him. They're all shouting, He's worth trusting. He's bearing, they're bearing witness. They're not witnessing us, they are giving witness to Him. They're saying, He's faithful. We found it works. Abraham's shouting out, He's faithful. Gideon says, Hey, it works. David, they're all shouting, He can be trusted. Read their stories. They go through some storms. But they're all shouting, He can be trusted why are you afraid? you a bit afraid this week? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You're my daughter, you're my son. You're my child, you're my precious one. Where's your faith? Trust me.